Tonight in Arkansas, there's a mother tucking in her daughter and turning off the light. A business owner is burning the midnight oil. An at-home dinner date is plating up possibility. And it's all happening under one roof. How? The power of a conversation. Like the one John from Integrity Solutions had with First Horizon Bank about his vision for a sustainable mixed-use building. Now it's not just words, it's life. First Horizon Bank. Let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash John. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. This is the Ben Burnett Show, the only show in America that features a one-term has-been retired politician that nobody knows on Extra 106.3. Welcome into the Ben Burnett Show. It is the weekend, boys and girls. It is hotter than blue blazes. Is there anywhere hotter on the face of the earth than the city of Atlanta in the middle of July? Don't answer that question. The answer is probably yes, but look, it's top 10. There's no question every time I look, I am sure right now it's a brisk 72 degrees in La Jolla, probably 71 on Oahu. And what are we doing? We're sitting here mid-90s. Not even the pool can keep you cool anymore. Not in the summertime. There is no shortage of issues going on in the world. The doldrums of summer usually mean that I have to reach for stories. I've got to do some research. When you look around, Congress is always thinking about going on sabbatical for the August recess. So that kind of grinds to a halt. The Supreme Court's done delivering its decisions for the year. And then earlier this week, we've got quarter, second quarter fundraising numbers coming out for Joe Biden, Donald Trump, who leads them all. Ron DeSantis, not far behind him, but that guy's got financial issues laying off staff people. When I look, the most interesting story of the week isn't fundraising. The most interesting story of the week isn't fundraising, and we will get to fundraising. Make no mistake. There was a situation earlier this week at the joint security area between North and South Korea where a private in the United States Army decided that he wanted to cross the demilitarized zone and allegedly Well, I think we know now the North Koreans have taken him captive. He spent a little while inside a jail in South Korea for something that he had done. We don't know a ton of details there yet. And the the military thought he was journeying home, dishonorably discharged, what have you. We're going to return him home. He can go, go about his business and his way of life. But that's not what he does. He strolls straight up to the DMZ. The demilitarized zone in the 50s after the Korean conflict, we do a lot of social studies lessons here. It's about 150 miles long between North and South Korea. You remember the Korean conflict? Had the South Koreans or the Republic of Korea and the Americans fought the Chinese and the North Koreans to a stalemate. Nobody won the war. It's technically still going on between the North and South Koreans, but they've had a 70-plus year ceasefire. There's two miles that separate the North Koreans from the South Koreans, called the DMZ. I've never been. I know people that have. I know people that have been stationed there. It's one of the most hostile and dangerous places in the world. At certain points along the way, the North Koreans have killed an American military service member here or there. Sometimes you, you read about North Koreans that are defecting or fleeing into South Korea so that they can see what freedom is like. It's dangerous. If they find you, they will kill you. And so... PFC Travis King decides he's going to go get taken into custody by the North Koreans and just cross over. I can't imagine how how desensitized and how troubled do you have to be 
to think that that is a good option for your life, that you're that mad at the American military, that you're that mad at the Americans, be like, you know what? I bet Kim Jong-un, that dude looks like he's got all the answers. There are a lot of people, establishment Republicans, that hate on Donald Trump over the fact that he went to go play nice with a dictator. I'm really not one of them. I don't necessarily... I don't I don't take all the hawkish tendencies that you hear from people like John Bolton and Secretary Mattis. I think I think that Trump had a lot of issues. I think the fact that he wanted to get along with the North Koreans or at least bring peace and stability. I, I'm not going to say that the guy did everything the right way. But if you think about it, there's somebody who actively pursues harm and threats to the United States. And for four years, for all intensive purposes, you got none of that. They really didn't have a lot of military exercises that brought harm to the United States. And for Trump, for the million flaws that I talk about with him regularly, that was a bright spot to me. I think getting along with the North Koreans is, I think it's best for the world. If you can pull them over and show that they have a decent relationship with the United States, at least not one that's hostile and adversarial, where they're shooting missiles over our friends in South Korea, who, candidly, if they went to war with South Korea again, we would be right there with them, just like we would be with the Taiwanese when the Chinese choose to invade. Those are situations that you hope never come. But what troubles me is not, it, but to me that is part of something that is a much larger conversation in this country. And I don't think that we're having it enough. And we pointed out on Extra 106.3 a lot, the United States military has changes that it no doubt fundamentally needs to make. They have definitely moved left. They have bought hook, line, and sinker into the DEI initiative They're very LGBTQ plus XYZ friendly. And to some degree, that's where the world is going. But to another, you have to project strength to your military. Now, I'm not saying that you don't have really strong-willed, proud gay and lesbian members of the military. I won't do that. That's I'm not I'm the I'm the 21st century Republican. I don't care who you go to bed with. I don't care who you marry. I don't care if you want to change your gender. I don't necessarily know that all those people need to be on the front lines. I think sometimes there are other things at play there that might preclude you from military service, from mental capacity, but I'm also not going to put that on people as a whole. I don't believe that. I am very in favor of freedom. But the fact that our military has gotten to a place with a 25% vacancy rate, it's even worse amongst enlisted people. The fact that the United States military has trouble recruiting people, and it shows you what kind of people are actively seeking military service for a guy who's PFC Travis King? If you're if that's your rank, you can't have been in the military for more than a year. So the guy's already been detained in South Korea by the South Korean or the or the Seoul government for something that he did while he was stationed there. And then they release him, and then he's dishonorably discharged, and then he seeks refuge in North Korea. I have a lot of questions about the people in this country that are 18 or 19 years old. I just do. I think all of us do. You worry all the time about the next generation. And look, there are bad people who work at the company I work for. There are bad people in the United States military. There's bad people on the other side. We know all of those things. But how does somebody have such a lack of education that they would think that that's the best option for their life? To me, that's the first question. When we are recruiting kids, and make no mistake, I'm grateful for all of you that are 18, 19, 20, 21, don't know what you want to do, you seek military service, I'm not talking to you. But on a broad scope, I'm talking to us. How in the world is that something that is even reasonably foreseeable? 
The United States military has almost 30,000 military members stationed in South Korea. You think about that. That's the size. Of, it's a good mid-sized town, Canton, Woodstock. That is the United States military's presence in South Korea. It's a lot of people. Is, is the bar that low that our vacancy rates are so high that we are recruiting people that clearly lack mental capacity to be able to do something like that? Like I said, the guy was stationed to come home, and the United States military lost track of him. How? How on earth? There's only 30,000 of you. And, and it's a rel- if you get to the DMZ, it is a relatively hostile area, regardless of how Donald Trump, who I said nice things about, made you feel about our relationship. And look, I think if there's a way that we can get through to the North Koreans and do it, but diplomatic tensions there are at an all-time low. You look, they are clearly, the North Koreans are clearly going to side with the Chinese in any Asian conflict that the United States is going to be a part of. And they've got nuclear weapons. And we've gotten to a place in the last three years where that relationship has really soured. For all the things that I like about establishment politicians, they know how things work. They know how to drive results. They know the fights that you need to have. I worry about that because eventually in 10 years, that's going to be my kids. And I'm positive that at least one, maybe one and a half or two of them are going to wind up in the United States military. I worry about the people that are going to surround them one day like I worry about the people who surround our current service members now. I cannot for any, I I can't for the life of me understand why this is something that we are not paying closer attention to. The DMZ is dangerous. Two miles wide, 150 miles long. You can only cross the border at a certain point and no one does in either direction. Unless it's to seek refuge in 99 out of 100 times, that is North Koreans trying to get to South Korea so that they can be in search of freedom. You can find the Ben Burnett Show on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Tuesdays, I have long-form interviews. Thursdays, I do my thought in one take where we take an issue of the week. We unpack it. We make it make sense to your life. This past week, we talked about President Biden, former President Trump, Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, Tim Scott, all the fundraising questions that surround Q2 and what those fundraising things will tell you. Who has momentum? I'll I'll give you a hint. It's a Republican of color that seems to be surpassing everybody's expectations with respect to fundraising and what they're able to put up. I was shocked when I saw that Tim Scott was the the second or third largest fundraiser in the entirety. The guy's a United States Republican— There are not a lot of Republicans out there right now amongst mainstream America that think the Republican Senate has done a good job since COVID. You know, Donald Trump, for all of the things we talk about, he drove them in the next term with President Biden. They were put in a pretty unpopular position, and they were done so for a couple of reasons, the printing of COVID money. And Tim Tim Scott seems to defy odds. That guy, for all intents and purposes, for fundraising and getting very little earned media attention, walks on water. It's amazing. We will look at that in the second segment. This is the Ben Burnett Show, Sundays on Extra 106.3. You can follow me on social media at Ben Burnett on Twitter. You're not there anymore. I'm still mad at you. You can follow me on Instagram where I know I cast reels three, four, five times a week. It's fun to watch it grow, fun to interact with you guys. Love the comments. Love the people who come alongside. And you can find me at the Ben Burnett Show on Facebook. Coming up in the second segment, we are going to unpack those fundraising totals. What's it tell you? Where is the country headed? Donald Trump seems to clearly have the advantage amongst small donors. He clearly has the advantage with the highest number of voters in the Republican Party. But can the guy win? And does he care? I'm not sure he cares. I'm not sure that plenty of you who back him hook, line, and sinker care. 
But I'll tell you what, we're, we're also going to get into Brian Kemp's interview with Caitlin Collins this week on CNN. He had a lot of things to say about how to drive the party forward and who we need to be as a Republican Party. This is Extra 1063, Atlanta's all conservative talk station. We will be right back. This morning in the Atlanta airport, no one's missing a meal on Mac Wilburn's watch. With 11 restaurants to serve passengers, he's got dining for every destination. And it all started when Mac talked with First Horizon Bank about opening a franchise in the airport. Now it's open for business and cleared for takeoff. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Mac. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. Is there chaos in your closet? Look, Blouse, you've got some nerve hanging there like that. I can't help it. I'm jammed in here next to this suit. Hey, I'm a three-piece, all right, which means I need a little more room. You've got a lot of attitude for a linen suit. I'm a polyester blend, sweetheart, and there needs to be room for men's clothes, too. Hi, I'm Christina, and in Artisan Custom Closets, we help families organize and simplify their closets with customized storage solutions. See what's possible for your home at artisancustomclosets.com and then call us for a free in-home consultation. This is the Ben Burnett Show on Extra 106.3. Welcome back to the Ben Burnett Show, weekend edition. Grateful to all of you who've made me a part of your day. We're going to get into something super interesting. Talked about it, alluded to it in the first segment with respect to Republican fundraising numbers. We're going to get into that a little bit more. Brian Kemp, Governor Brian Kemp, Marty the Girls and I, they, you know that guy. He's the governor of the state of Georgia. He's been on somewhat of a media tour during the slow period, hyping it up, getting the message out there, talking about, we got to talk about what we're in favor of. He's done a great job. He spent, I don't know how long the interview wound up being, but it was six or seven minutes with Caitlin Collins. Caitlin's the 9 o'clock news anchor on CNN. She does a fabulous job on behalf of their network. You read interviews, you hear her talk and other things outside of politics. She you knows she's a journalist, journalist, and it's funny that she talks. She sounds like she's very willing to get in your kitchen and ask all the hard questions. If you talk to her personally, she doesn't really even care about politics, which I honestly kind of appreciate in the fact that that's her day job. Was the night was was the Washington correspondent at CNN for a long time. Loves football. Proud of Prattville, Alabama. So Governor Kim takes a couple minutes with her this week and starts talking through the 2024 election cycle and what he thinks. It's interesting what he what he gets to. Roll clip one. You do know this field of people who are running pretty well. A few other sitting governors. What do you make of the current race? Is there anyone that you would think could actually beat Donald Trump? Well, it doesn't seem like there's a lot going on right now. I mean, there is with the uh, fundraising numbers coming out, but the race has been pretty stagnant if you're looking at all the national polls. But, you know, I don't, I kind of take that with a grain of salt. You're in the, uh, fixing to be uh, in the dog days of August, and, you know, it just hasn't been a lot of movement. But I think people are getting their legs under them now. And so I think there's still a long, long way to go in the race. And um, we'll, we'll see where that goes. Are you- well, that was a political answer, if you've ever heard one. He didn't say anything factually inaccurate. The fundraising numbers did come out. We talked about it on My Thought in One Take earlier this week. The big surprise out of that entire thing was that Senator Tim Scott, gentleman from South Carolina, the senator, also running alongside Nikki Haley, who's also from South Carolina, hung up a huge number and did it in relative anonymity. 
I wonder if that's where the establishment money's going. I have not taken the time to look through it, but he raised a ton of money and didn't burn through very much. He's got more cash on hand than Ron DeSantis, and I think we're all a little bit surprised by that. But you hear the industry insiders talk about their relationship with Tim Scott, people I've had on the show over time, talk about how much they care about him, how much that man cares about the right things, his character, his integrity, his willingness to lead. Says a lot that he's the only member of the United States Senate from the Republican Party entering the race because, candidly, Senate Republicans aren't popular and haven't been since, essentially, Trump cost him the White House. But I also think it's funny when you listen to when you listen to Kemp talk, one of the big things that you've heard him say over the last, I don't know, six months, well, we got to talk about what we're in favor of. And I don't know that that's an ax to grind that he has with Donald Trump. I can tell you there is no way, regardless of what you hear him say publicly, and he says the right thing, there's no way he cares about President Trump. But I wonder what Kemp's ultimately thinking. Roll clip two. You say the road to the White House must include Georgia. I mean, can Donald Trump win Georgia? He's the front runner right now. Well, I think he can uh, because Joe Biden's been such a bad president. His approval ratings are, are just terrible uh, in the state of Georgia right now. So I think he can. I also think he can lose Georgia uh, if he's not doing what I said, telling people what he's for, staying focused on the race, quit looking back at the 2020 election. I mean, for goodness sakes, that was two and a half, three years ago now. Uh, the American people want to know, what are you going to do for me to help me offset the bad policies of Joe Biden? I mean, Biden talks about, you know, the middle out. We're going to grow the economy from the middle out and the, and the bottom up. The only thing coming out of the middle right now is people's money coming out of their wallet. I want to tell you guys something that is an indisputable fact. He is right about that offers no solutions. He actually does a good job of playing the pundit because he doesn't answer any questions. He just says, well, we're going to talk about what we're in favor of. If you listen to him close, even closer in other interviews, Governor Kemp, for all the things we like about how he votes, he rarely ever delves into what is he actually in favor of. He got to ride the coattails of COVID with, the, with respect to his relationship with the Georgia voting population. And I think the fact that Donald Trump attacked him helped him lure moderate Democrats. I, I know a ton of people who surround the man. But there's also an element of luck that goes with everything. And to say that Governor Kemp's ridden the last couple of years with a golden horseshoe, like he just doesn't have to answer a lot of questions. When he was willing to open early and he wanted kids back in schools and he made that known, that was a record of being really, really right. And he made a really unpopular decision. And when you make an unpopular decision at the time and then the consensus amongst persuadable voters comes around to your side, you can live off that legacy for a long time. Conversely, if you sit there and attack people and attack the election from 2020 over and over and over again, even if you're right, they're tired of hearing about it. And, and Brian Kemp is the one guy who has proven that. But there's other things at play. You know, when you start taking the national opportunities – I wonder what the man is thinking. And he knows Georgia as well as anybody. I th you know, there's probably two or three hundred of us who really understand the constituency. I talk about it a lot. I broke it down a lot during the Herschel Walker race when you saw Governor Kemp per outperform Herschel by seven, eight, nine points. And that was across the state. There were a ton of people who voted for Brian Kemp 
based on the COVID narrative. And there were a bunch of Republicans who just skipped Herschel Walker in the general election on the ballot. You can be mad at the people who chose to do that. I totally get it. But when you start taking two guys out of the same party, and I'd put Donald Trump in against Governor Kemp. You know, if those two guys set head to head or were on the same election cycle ballot, I guarantee you it might not be 8% Governor Kemp outperformed Donald Trump. It would be at least five. It would be at least five because there are Democrats who will always vote for him. The big bad man with the bully pulpit and President Trump, nothing anybody else said mattered during 2020. It was all about him. And there were very few people who were willing to stand up to it. You look at Jack King, the gentleman who's going to prosecute the case against President Trump for the 2020 election from a federal perspective. And you look at the people that he's subpoenaing. Doug Ducey is one, the governor of Arizona. It's going to be interesting to see who the Republicans are. I guarantee you Brad Raffensperger, the secretary of state from the state of Georgia, is another. And I think that the timing that goes along with that is interesting. But it's interesting for two reasons. One, Brian Kemp says on one hand that Donald Trump has to talk about what he's in favor of, and he's right. And uh, and the place where Governor Kemp is wrong is that Donald Trump is not going to have any choice but to talk about 2020. When you are sitting under, under a federal indictment for what happened three years ago, how, do, how on earth do you expect Donald Trump, former President Trump, to tell you what he's in favor of? I think the fix is in. I don't think there is any – it doesn't matter if Donald Trump put out the most forward-thinking agenda in Republican caucus history. He's not going to have the opportunity to put that narrative out there. And I feel like the timing of everything – is definitely questionable. As much as I agree with Governor Kemp, and I think Governor Kemp sits on the moral high ground, who stood up to Donald Trump, who he will go on to say, you'll hear in, in a clip we'll run in a minute, look, the man didn't like me. He disagreed with what I did, but I answered to a higher calling. That higher calling was the right thing to do. You're going to ask President Trump, who is going to be the Republican frontrunner, to talk about what he's in favor of, and the media is never going to give him an opportunity because they're, the fix is in. It always has been. As soon as all these indictments took place so many years later, it didn't make any sense. The other thing that I think is incredibly frustrating is you look at Georgia or New York or Arizona and the places that are potentially looking to indict President Trump on charges. Do I think the man was guilty of trying to overthrow elections in certain states? yes. I think he was willing to do anything by any means necessary. But I'm also willing to ask myself, if the guy's not on the ballot in 2024, is this really even an issue? I'm not even asking whether or not I think the man was right or wrong. I'm asking, does President Trump get indicted by states or the federal government if he is not a candidate for president? No. People go away. DAs look the other way on crimes all the time. And you look at the party of every one of these district attorneys going after President Trump. It's a partisan witch hunt. And there's no way about it. I say it all the time. I'm not voting for the man again. I've seen him lead. I saw him print more money than anybody in United States history. It does frustrate me a little bit that Brian Kemp isn't willing to answer all the questions. Because I know how he feels. Because he's objective as a human being. You've seen him govern that way for years. He's in year five of eight. 
He's, ar- he's already said he's not going to seek the office of the presidency. You heard him tell Caitlin Collins that. It's really the first time he'd let that out in public. But what's he ultimately up to? You know, roll clip three. He said at a Republican donor retreat recently that, quote, not a single swing voter in a single swing state will vote for our nominee if they choose to talk about the 2020 election being stolen. But the Republican frontrunner is still saying that. He still talks about it all the time. I think if he continues to do that, he's going to lose Georgia in November. Uh, I mean, people are not worried about the past, regardless about, of how you feel about the election. You know, if you're a Republican and you feel like, you know, if you're a moderate Republican or, you know, if you're a center left uh, independent or, or center right independent, uh, they are not worried about the 2020 election right now. And he's right. They're not. People like me and people like you, like we're ready to move on. And we have been for years. I think that the man deserved the opportunity to prove it if he thought there was fraudulent activity with the voting machines at State Farm Arena, if he thought there was an ability for Dominion to be hacked. Donald Trump had every opportunity to take all the resources with all of his allies and throw the football. And then he couldn't do it. And it's rhetoric driven over and over and over again. You know, I can't tell you the number of people, what the most interesting part of that Herschel Walker, Brian Kemp election or re-election told you. If you looked at the suburbs in North Fulton, east of Georgia 400, Alpharetta, Johns Creek, Brian Kemp won precincts, lots of precincts. There were zero precincts east of Georgia 400 in Fulton County that voted in favor of Herschel Walker who was Donald Trump's chosen person. Well, don't you think the same thing's going to be true? Sooner or later, if you drive a narrative, either way, positive or negative, hope and change, make America great again, doesn't matter. Your legacy gets tied to that slogan and people know who you are. And by the way, Governor Kemp is incredibly conservative. The concealed carry repeal You can carry a firearm in the state of Georgia without going to your probate court and getting fingerprinted and all that stuff again because he's a card-carrying member, a true believer, thinks everything about that is the right thing to do. Not even going to have the conversation of whether or not that was intelligent. I'm telling you, that man, from a conviction standpoint, is conservative. I don't think Donald Trump, from a conviction standpoint, cares one way or the other. He sat there four years ago. He talked about how abortion was the curse upon this country. And now when he realized that the Supreme Court and justices that he put on the bench overturned it, he's like, you know what? Maybe we went too far. I'm not. That's another thing. I'm not even going to dispute it. I'm saying that Governor Kemp is a guy who can talk about what he's in favor of and draw lines in the sand. And you know that he means it. Donald Trump doesn't have any red lines at all. He took all of his cues for four years from Sean Hannity, and he's still the Republican frontrunner because the people who are very right-leaning are going to cling to the message because he's the messenger that they wanted to hear. He spoke to the little people. I hear it all the time. I interview people all the time who firmly believe that. The same people held their nose and voted for Brian Kemp because they didn't want Stacey Abrams. But there's a shape-shifting that's going to take place, and I think that for all the things that we've said about Governor Kemp, who I like, who I vote for, who I'd write a check to, who I'd support down the road, he's looking at a U.S. Senate seat. And he knows 
that he has every option available to him. I've had Cody Hall as outside communications consultant, runs a super PACs on the show probably about six or eight months ago, and we talked all about it. I point blank asked him the question, you think Brian Kemp is running for president? And he said, oh, I don't know, but the guy started a federal PAC and he deserves every opportunity that's able to him. Look, I don't think Brian Kemp, as much as I like him, if he spoke a little bit differently and had more of a articulate demeanor about him, I think that he could stand a good chance. But you have fundraising ceilings. You don't have the same rules in the state of Georgia as you do when you go looking at, when you go look at federal office. But if you'll pay attention, the at the end of this past week, he went to go talk at a conference in Texas. And while he was there, he met with the chairman of the NRSC, the National the National Senate Republican Leadership Committee. Guess who else was there? Mitch McConnell. I don't know if Governor Kemp is running for a United States Senate seat. He would be running. He won. He would clear a field of Republicans. Do I think that somebody would ultimately run against him? Yes. But with the name ID in the state that that man has, it really doesn't make any difference at all. He'd throttle everybody. You could have six or seven people in the race, and as long as the economy doesn't turn into shambles and Governor Kemp gets convicted of a felony between now and then, which I think we all think is probably unlikely, he would walk through a Republican primary and face Senator Ossoff, who there is no shortage of things that conservatives dislike. But I'll tell you this. You think about it from the other way. Take take Senator Ossoff's politics off the table for a second. The guy's a young dad. You talk to people who have been on my show a long time. They say, what's the hardest part? What's the hardest part? What's the hardest part of living and working in D.C.? Miss my family. He's a dad of a young kid. And I think that if you shapeshift and turn that on its head, you can easily see both of those guys just switch elected offices. I think Senator Ossoff probably misses Atlanta. I'm going to have him on the show in the fall, which is interesting because we don't get him on Extra 106.3 a lot, and he's agreed to come on. He can be left-leaning. The man's not dumb. And in the same way that Governor Brian Kemp can be right-leaning. The man's not dumb. You don't get to those places, and you you beat people in crowded primary fields. In Senator Ossoff's case, he ran one of the most highly televised and watched United States congressional races in history in a special election when Tom Price became the Secretary of Health and Human Services. It put Senator Ossoff, now Senator Ossoff, on the map when he was running a race against Karen Handel. Everybody remembers that because nothing else was going on. And he took the opportunity. The winds of change, they always find you. The state moved just a little bit left. They didn't like how Donald Trump had governed after they had seen the man for three or four years. And Senator Ossoff winds up getting into a runoff, eliminates the libertarian who took two or three percent off the vote. David Perdue was the incumbent in office who, who, who got to the United States Senate and decided that that was when he was going to retire when he entered elected office instead of working even harder than he did when he was a Fortune 500 CEO. And Ossoff took the field that he had at hand. Georgia is a state. You look at the jobs, you look at the growth, you look at the people coming in. It is growing. And you look at the right-leaning message that's out there, and it's still divisive. 
for all the things that I dislike about Senator Ossoff's politics, he is not a divisive politician. And people gravitate to that message. As much as the Republican Party will sit here forever and run to the rural parts of the state, I mean, they're not growing like Atlanta's growing. And the people who move to Atlanta are more inclined to be highly educated. They're more in line to be objective from a political standpoint, meaning they're not ideologically identifying one way or the other. And they gravitate to the people who, who they feel pull them together, pull the state together, pull the country together. That is John Ossoff. That is Brian Kemp. And I think Senator Ossoff knows today whether or not he has the ability to win a race that looks anything remotely possible to what Brian Kemp would put up against him. The thing that I will give Mitch McConnell credit for is that he is a leader. There are a lot of people who don't like him. There's a ton of people that dislike Mitch McConnell for a whole variety of reasons, and plenty of them are valid. He is everything that is wrong with Washington, D.C. The man has got to be approaching 80 years of age, and he's been there for half of his life. That is a problem that needs to be addressed, and when term limits bills come find the floor in the United States Senate, they get sent to some committee that you've never heard of, the basket weaving committee, and then they get run off because people like him want to stay in that office for as long as humanly possible. There's also not a ton of people who really want to be the majority leader in the United States Senate. I think McConnell's a pro. I think he puts bills on the floor that, that make the party more competitive. I think he is a politician's politician. And for all of you who don't like term limits, you know, that guy puts very little out there when he has the gavel that's not going to pass. He's good at, he's, he is good at protecting the longevity of the party. Donald Trump hated Mitch McConnell because McConnell knew how the Senate worked and he knew how the House worked. Both of those things were incredibly important, but those two guys in the same party, quote unquote same party, sat at odds. I'm not saying anything about it. I'm saying that if Mitch McConnell has watched Donald Trump interfere in United States Senate elections like he did when he wanted to prop up Herschel Walker to run, and then he got beat by Senator Warnock by three points. Mitch McConnell knows how to win. And for all the issues that you want to put on a guy like that, he knows that if he wants a red-blooded conservative sitting in Washington, D.C., that the Senate Leadership Fund is going to be the party that gets behind Brian Kemp. That's Kemp's option. Now, you've got a whole different set of circumstances. I think one of the things that Kemp will struggle with is that his family is incredibly involved in his gubernatorial tenure. Guess what they don't care about in Washington, D.C.? The fact that Marty and the girls care about anything that you do. That's part of his brand for governor because he's the CEO and the executive of the state. I don't know if Rick Scott has one kid, no kid, or 25 kids. I don't know anything about Marco Rubio's family. I don't know anything about Senator Warnock's family besides he ran over his ex-wife in a car. But think about it. You know that John Ossoff's wife's a doctor and he's got a kid, but you don't know anything about either of them. I think that the anonymity, some people like the spotlight. Some people's families really like the spotlight. That's not the United States Senate. Once you've had a taste of that and you like the lifestyle and you like the fact that everybody's going to bend the knee and kiss your ass, things change. And I think that when you start parting with Governor Kemp three or four nights a week while he goes to Washington, D.C., and nobody cares about who you are anymore, I think that can be an issue to overcome for him. To be honest with you, 
If he wants to sit in the United States Senate, that seat's his. But if his family wants to continue to maintain the notoriety and access and be a part of that, he's got nowhere to go. He'll return to the private sector. That is 100% the issue. The next segment, we're going to talk about the second quarter fundraising numbers. We're going to unpack everything else that comes along with it. And we're going to talk about what Governor Kemp was, was saying. What are people actually in favor of? He won't answer that question right now because he doesn't have to, but I'm going to answer it for you. It's the Ben Burnett Show. We will be right back. Tonight in Arkansas, there's a mother tucking in her daughter and turning off the light. A business owner is burning the midnight oil. An at-home dinner date is plating up possibility. And it's all happening under one roof. How? The power of a conversation. Like the one John from Integrity Solutions had with First Horizon Bank about his vision for a sustainable mixed-use building. Now it's not just words, it's life. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash John. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. Hi, I'm Mark Beckham with Atlanta Ramjack. We specialize in only foundation repair. What is foundation repair? Foundations sink or settle. These issues need to be addressed. It only becomes more costly the longer you put it off. What is the biggest cause of foundation problem? Either poor construction, inferior site preparation, or weather. Drought causes cracks in your foundations. If you see any signs of foundation issues, please contact us at atlantaramjack.com. This is the Ben Burnett Show on Extra 106.3. Welcome back to the Ben Burnett Show. Final segment here today on the weekend. I am appreciative of all of you who spend time with me each and every week. Even those of you who binge watch or binge listen down the road, catch them a couple at a time. Grateful for all of you. Big thanks to all of the people who make it possible. First Horizon Bank, Petrie Government Relations, Chiringa, Phase Commons, where I record the weekend show most of the time. Tell you during baseball season, you want to go down to the battery. It is tough unless you are going to the Braves game. That is food for thought. It is a challenge. The guys who come to you, the morning show, Tug Rhino and Carlos Medina and the Kimmer, it's work, man. It, look, it's the 81 days a year they're playing baseball plus a 15 or so concerts. It is a happening place to be able to go down there. It's also really nice to be able to sit here out of a place with a ton of access and fiber and be able to bring this to you on a weekly basis. Final thing I want to get to, Governor Kemp made a couple of comments that we played in the last segment regards to in regards to his conversation that he had with Caitlin Collins, and he's right. And I think Governor Kemp was smart to say he's not running for president because as much as I like him, as much as we like him, you have to have a certain f- star power and a certain factor to be able to do it. And honestly, I think if you really boiled it down, the number of people in this world who could really honestly, truly raise the money and be president one day and the number of people who have the skill set and electability to do what it takes. It's a high bar. But being a governor is a high bar, too. But the thing that Governor Kemp gets right over and over and over again, we have to tell people what we are in favor of. And that sounds like a soundbite. And it's used in that way because he's the man who does not at this current moment have to answer the question. But the answers are not hard, and you don't hear the Republicans in the primary talk about it a lot. It's a lot of the rhetoric-driven stuff. I think President Trump casts his vision for the future of the country. I think it's personally it's too divisive for people in the middle. You heard Tug on the morning show a couple weeks ago say he was playing pickleball over in Windward, in Alpharetta, where he lives. 
and not one of the women that they were playing pickleball with would vote for him again. That's the answer to the last question. If they can't vote for somebody and they've already made their mind up based on years worth of evidence, based on the reasons, you're not changing plenty of minds. Some of them you can. I personally do not think it'll be enough. I think whoever is in second place in the Republican primary is probably the best fit because they have the ability to cast a vision for the future of this country. I think that is what will ultimately matter. But what is that? We talk about it week over week over week. The economy, as sure as we all were that it was going to give in, it's not giving in. And I think that there is too much regulation. I think that lower gas prices are something that the American people by and large will gravitate to, which means that you have to be able to tangibly lift restrictions and permits on your oil and natural gas pipelines to make gas go down to $2 a gallon. The one thing that has kept up somewhat, but not entirely, are wages. It's not a Republican value system to regulate the minimum wage. But you've also seen Ron DeSantis in the state legislature in Florida take that argument away from the Democrats. And they did it in a way that makes sense. They said over the course of the next five years, this is what the barrier to entry is going to be from a minimum wage perspective from a state's rights matter. It was the right way to do it. And as much as Americans say, if you're willing to work for $5 an hour, why should I pay you six? Well, I'll tell you why. If you're on the ballot in a federal election, that issue matters to the people in the middle, who you have to be able to win. The people that sit on the far right, you've already won them. And the way that Governor DeSantis did that, to his credit, which he should tout over and over and over again, guys, people in the state of Florida are going to be able to make really close to $20 an hour as a minimum wage. What's Florida's economy? Tourism. It's also a huge driver to the American economy as a, as a whole. If you ever go out west, you go to Yosemite, you go to Glacier, you go to Yellowstone, you go to Jackson Hole, you go to the Grand Canyon, any of them, there are tons of people from other countries. Tourism is a huge cog in the wheel to the American economy. And also that ties back to that are cheaper energy prices. When people come here, maybe their dollar can afford to go a little bit farther. Although the dollar, relatively speaking to the euro or, or the British pound, it's not entirely the same, but they're not terribly far off in 2023 standards. But when you go to Europe, it is so expensive to do anything. Twice, if you want to go eat a foot-long sub sandwich, here's probably 6 or $7. You go over there, it is well north of 10 and that's everything. I think that the fact that we are able to keep the cost of goods and services low so that people can come into this country, grow businesses, if you come visit, the chances that you want to stay are a lot higher than they are at zero, which is what you get if they don't come here. That's a huge issue. That's one that the Republicans should put front and center. It also moves to a pathway to citizenship conversation that the Republicans have to get their hands around. The pathway to citizenship might not be the most popular issue on its face, but it is. Americans have people, you saw in 2020, they started leaving the workforce. Plenty of them were out of, by, plenty of them were by choice. You can't fill every job you have in this country with the able-bodied workforce that we put forward today. The only way you can tangibly do that is to grow through immigration. If you'll put a pathway to citizenship out there and say, if you will come into this country and you have one of these 25 skill sets, and you will work for five years or six years or seven years, we will give you citizenship. 
we'll give your kids access to the school system. We will give them access to the higher education system. You're not going to create bad citizens through that process. You're going to create incredible citizens through that process who believe that the fundamental tenets of the American way of life are better. Do you know why? Because for the last 200 plus years, people will wait in line to come here. It also addresses the problem that you have at the southern border with drugs and China infiltrating it with infiltrating our government with chemicals and poisoning our kids. It's scary. But you can do all of these things. And if you will take some of these issues away from the Democrats, I promise you, we will be successful as a party. Brian Kemp was right for a lot of things. You've seen it with how he's governed, but you've also seen it in the events that he's taken his message to. He went to Davos. While it was easy to take him to the World Economic Forum and for you to look at him and be like, why the hell are you here? He sat on a stage with three Democrats and said, this is why Georgia is successful. And it doesn't have anything to do with climate change. And it doesn't have anything to do with wages. These are the five reasons that people move to the state of Georgia. And when they come here, they don't leave. The Ben Burnett Show can be found on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Tuesdays, I do long-form interviews, taking a break from those from a little while. Thursdays, we do My Thought in One Take. So you're going to get a lot of complex issues that we break down in about five to ten minutes. I help you make sense of them to your average daily life. This last week, we talked about the fundraising for the second quarter with the Republican and the Democrat candidates running for president. We talked about the underlying themes that you see in there. We talk about why people run for president, why Governor Kemp would ultimately choose not to. Maybe it's because of his messaging, but I doubt it. It's candidly because he probably knows he can't raise enough money to put a a den in Donald Trump's armor. You can follow me on social media, on Twitter, at Ben Burnett. You can follow me on Instagram, at The Ben Burnett Show. If you'll send me a message... I'm ordering Yetis as we speak for another round. They go pretty quick, and I'll mail them to you. I don't ask you for anything. Just take pictures of it out in the wild. And we've got another partner coming on board, Peach State Pride. You guys see it absolutely everywhere. Great homegrown brand. They reached out about a couple months ago and said, hey, we really like what you do. We like how you profile people. We want to be a part of it. I'm going to have all sorts of cool stuff coming for the fall. So if you will get in my DMs, I know you hate that. But if you'll get in my DMs, I'll make sure to send you one. Take care, everybody. It's been another episode of The Ben Burnett Show. Make it a great week. See you around. This morning in the Atlanta airport, no one's missing a meal on Mac Wilburn's watch. With 11 restaurants to serve passengers, he's got dining for every destination. And it all started when Mac talked with First Horizon Bank about opening a franchise in the airport. Now it's open for business and cleared for takeoff. First Horizon Bank. Let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Mac. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. The fan is ready for brave season. Are you? 3-1 smoked high in the air, deep center field, and heading for the horizon. A home run by Olsen. We're streaming every game of the Braves 2024 season free on the 680 The Fan app. So make sure you download it now and don't miss a pitch of the Braves this season.